Hi everyone, this is Steve Hargadon. Welcome to the Future of Education. It is Wednesday, December 9th, 2009, and Angela Myers is our guest to talk about her book, Classroom Habitudes. Welcome, Angela. Welcome, everyone. So glad to be here. So there's a slight delay because you're coming in through the phone bridge, so about a second or so. So if I talk over you, please forgive me, and I promise to be quiet as soon as I hear you talking. Okay, <laughs> me too. Okay, so this is your first time in a uh, futureofeducation.com session. I want you to know that uh, we are sponsored by Learn Central, the social network for educators supported by Illuminate, and my day job. I uh, sure hope that you'll come in and, and uh, tell us uh, what we can do to make that a good system for you. It's a Facebook for educators, helping you find other educators around the world and connect uh, with them through Illuminate. Illuminate is free in that environment get the view room. You also can have access to the Learn Central public room. So if you'd like to hold a large-scale webinar, you can do so for free, which is a lot of fun. So more information, just contact me. Coming up tomorrow, Elizabeth Kana talks with us about her book, Virtual Schooling. Then uh, Sir Ken Robinson on January 6th, Alan Michelle from Home Inc. on the 7th, Dan Pink on the 21st, and James Paul G. on February 3rd. We're going to take a little bit of a holiday break the end of this month, and that schedule, I promise, will fill out for next month. Still to come, Clay Shirky, Doc Searles, more Howard Rheingold, Tim Magner, David Thornburg, Dennis Litke. And if you missed them last week uh, and yesterday, Rachel Dredson on Digital Nation, that recording is up. Curtis Bonk on The World is Open. Dan Willingham on Why Students Don't Like School, and Larry Cuban on School Reform. And just go to futureofeducation.com to see the links for those recordings. If this is your first time in Illuminate, this is an interactive environment. You have ways to participate. Uh, you'll see I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to click on the little uh, icon here. I'll look for a little hand to show you. This little box here lets you raise your hand. So if you want to ask a question during the session and to take the microphone, you'd raise your hand. Uh, if you think you might want to do that, please do go up to Tools, Audio, and run the Audio Setup Wizard. And that will make sure that your mic is configured correctly. To the right of that is this little green check and red X, and they let you answer yes or no if Angela wants to ask a question. And then back here by that hand button, you have a smiley face, a clapping hand, a confused look, and a thumbs down. Those are ways of letting us know uh, how you're feeling during the <laughs> session. You can send messages to each other in the chat area. Do be aware that if you try and send them a private message, even though it looks private, uh, Steve and Angela get to see them both, or get to see them all, even though they have the appearance of privacy. And then these tools over here for the use of the whiteboard, we're only going to do that uh, briefly for a minute, but let's show you how that works. I'm going to give everybody permission to modify the whiteboard. And now click on the wand with the red star at the end, and then click on the map and let us know where you're listening from. So we knew we had Perth, Australia, and it uh, looks like two in Australia, Japan. China, or oh, India. Where's India? I know we've got India. Anyway, feel free to put a shout out. Let us know where you're listening from. We know many of you did that earlier on. Wherever you're listening from, we're sure glad to have you here tonight. Okay, I'm going to move this forward. I'm going to take off the whiteboard tools. Oh, and it's still misspelled. <laughs> How did that happen? I, w I don't know. <laughs> that is so funny. We're just going to have to live with it. Well, there's a little, there's some humility points there. We for are. Me. It's fine. If you get that terrible picture off there, I'll forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just pathetic. Well, Angela, it's sure fun to have you here tonight. <laughs> hey, you're nominated for three EduBlog Awards. Tell us, do you know the categories? You want to tell us them? I just saw that today. Pretty cool. Yeah, what are those categories? Um, actually, I, it's just so bad. I, I don't, uh, it's funny, I got one in um, Best New Blog, um, so that's kind of funny because um, I, I don't feel new anymore. 
Um, so that one didn't show up because I didn't qualify. And then I got one for Twitter, and I think um, resource sharing or video for some, I, I put a video of lesson with kids um, every week up. And um, I, I actually, this is terrible. Um, I didn't know I, I should know this, shouldn't I? So I think um, I'm just so happy to be in the conversation. It just There's just so many people there. It's just really, I know it's silly to say you're happy to be nominated, but the overwhelming talent is just uh, mind-boggling when you look at the list. Well, very fun and uh, certainly most deserved. And, and I'm cracking up because I went back to my original slides, and it is spelled correctly, so somehow the system didn't update when I updated the <laughs> slides. Hey, so uh, let's uh, have you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, um, before we kind of kick into classroom habitudes, um, you know what do you do uh, and, and what have you been doing for the last twenty years? Well, I have uh, been learning and uh, teaching, so I am doing what I was born to do, and it feels great. I um, have been in the field of education for 22 years. I was a classroom teacher for 13 of those and a university professor for seven, and I still do um, four courses in graduate study in the field of reading, teachers working on their master's in um, reading, and then I'm excited about a new course that the university is working on uh, for digital content reading. So I worked on planning and getting that to the university, so, um, and writing, and then my whole world exploded as a teacher and a learner um, almost two years ago when I started my blog, and it just it changed everything for me. I mean, it, it really changed everything for me um, to be able to have conversations um, literally, like we're having tonight, it's it's incredible. And then um, that's what I spend my days uh, doing now is working with learners all across the world and helping them maximize their potential using um, digital and social tools. So sometimes my audience of learners are leaders and superintendents and state departments, and sometimes they're five-year-olds. So it's like the best job in the world because every day I'm in front of a different group. So it's incredible. So you and I met for the first time at um, NECC, now ISTE, but NECC last year. Yeah. And I would have described you as shy. Is that accurate at all? You would have just you would have described me as shy. Correct. Or let's not say shy. Really? Let's say unassuming. That is actually, huh? Probably because I was in. I mean, look at Christina; she's laughing. Not <laughs> um, probably because literally I was in awe. Um, it was the very first time that um, I had met any of my virtual colleagues face to face, and so you and Cheryl Oaks and Carl Fish and you know um, Dean Shiresky and David Jakes and uh, David Warlock, all these people that. I learn from every single day. I'm I'm in sleeping in the room with a um, you know cool cat teacher and Cheryl and Peggy and I literally just walked around with my mouth open but trying to keep it closed so it didn't look so totally like I'm I was saying every minute I cannot believe I'm here and I, I don't think people knew that it, it was um so new to me because um, I I just um, have been not shy in the conversation. So I think people were surprised. It was my first time at NEC. It was my first tech conference. I had no idea what EdTech was really all about because um, my world is literacy. So my world is ASCD and, and International Reading Association and Reading Recovery and those conferences. So I was just walking around in awe, basically. <laughs> so I think that the, the chat log has, has clarified. We're, we're seeing unassuming is a good word for you <laughs> and humble. Uh. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why that's so funny, because today you and I had a little bit of another connection, which was I blogged on a book called Greater Than Yourself. Yeah. And then you blogged yeah. with a picture of you with the author. And I'm like, how, where, how do you get around to everybody? <laughs> you know, here was this unassuming, <laughs> humble person at NEC, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, on a committee <laughs> with the author that I've just read the book of. <laughs> I um, I think that when you're passionate about something, it is contagious. And 
people that are passionate about learning um, at the level that everybody in this chat room is, that you are, that Steve is, it those connections happen. I stopped saying, um, oh my God, because it's like a daily occurrence. I stopped saying, I can't believe this is happening, but it was through Twitter. And um, I, the Habitudes actually um, had a manifesto published, and that was in the business world in a site that Seth Godin created called Change This. So if you guys haven't seen it, um, just the Change This site, it's incredible. People just proclaim without shyness how they want to change the world. And um, Steve had gotten that, and he's like, I want to do the same thing. And so Greater Than Yourself is you can stick his link in. And um, we had been connecting, and, and then I was just with him in, um, I was uh, visiting, not visiting Hawaii, but I was working in Hawaii where the State Department, the state has had um, shut down education for 17 days. So the State Department is on furlough for 17 days, no school. And, and it was really traumatic for what that means for education. And so we were on a trip to San Diego and a team of people with the California State Department and Orange County Schools and Steve and a group of business people got together and said, this is not okay. <laughs> so we've got to do something. Business and education has to come together. And um, that's what our job is, is to make kids greater than ourselves. So that was our little um, world connection. So some good things coming up. Um, with greater than yourself in education. Well, it that's was, all I can say right now. It was a fun Top book, <laughs> and I, if anybody's interested, I, I blogged on the uh, just the one part of the one small part of the book that really kind of rocked me by describing something that I had been yeah. wondering about, and did a really good job of describing how it is that sort of in practical ways, being a very giving person comes back, and and uh, especially I think in the Web 2.0 world, we're seeing. A, a I think we're seeing a little bit of um, facilitation or um, additional benefit coming to those who are naturally collaborative because of the openness. Absolutely. So, um, and it's a whole different um, go ahead. way of operating for people, especially in education where we've coveted content and we've coveted expertise, and you know we've been honored for that. That's how you progress up in our system is whoever publishes the most and owns the most, you know, gets the top throne and it's completely opposite in this world. It's whoever shares the most, whoever does the most for others, um, then that's where your reward comes back. This is a topic we could probably talk about all night, but I've been reading another book I'm I'm really liking called yeah. Trust Agents. And um, they quote from a, a an improv theater line which is a make your partner look good. I guess there's a you know basic rule in improv theater oh. that you make your partner look good, and it's just sort of fascinating to me the degree to which the web is um, enhancing and magnifying that particular set of values. So when you are helping other people, it does come back. It does, don't you think? That is where we see even the edge blog. It really isn't, you know, as we said about denomination. But look at how many people. You know, I look at Richard Burns from Free Technology for Teachers and some of these um, forces right now in the blogosphere were, you know, near unknown last year. And it is because others have spread the power of one another. And it's a perfect example of how kids play in the sandbox. In, and those are those, those are the attitudes. They are. Well, good. That's a good, this is a good opportunity now to dive in. So what's a habitude? Habitude is a mashup of a habit and an attitude. And you put those two words together. And it's critical because the idea of habits or habits of the mind is, is absolutely not new, as you know. I mean, from Aristotle, he talked about and described habits of the mind. And then Stephen Covey brought those ideas of um, sustainable habits to the business world. And, and then the master Art Costa bringing habits of the mind to sort of the pioneering it in the field of education in the 70s. And then, you know, writers like Tony Wagner and others looking at those habits as not just warm, fuzzy things, but in very serious context of a global um, technical economy. So as you read sort of that body of work, whether it is from an educational stance or a theoretical stance or a philosophical stance or an economic stance, 
it is a whole lot more than just a series of competencies and skills and behaviors. And it's really what we were talking about earlier. It is the attitude part of it that I think is even more um, impactful than the habit part. The mindset of how you see yourself and how you see the world and then how that drives your behavior. And if you see the world as abundant, then you're going to share. If you see your colleagues as um, someone who can support you, you know, other than competition, um, then you have no qualms about sharing things freely because really, you know, my motto is kind of quirky, but I believe it. We're smarter together. I mean, I say that all the time, but we are smarter together. That's an attitude that changes and develops my behavior. So in a long way, a long-winded way, it's a mashup, habit plus attitude, habitude. So Peggy's trying to get us ahead on the conversation, but I'm going to hold back on the teacher oh. piece, but, but, <laughs> but we'll get there. Um, so what was interesting to me in reading the book was, and I found the word I was looking for earlier, it's that the Web 2.0 environment seems to favor certain characteristics and traits differently than pre-Web 2.0 or social media. So yeah. as I read the book, I kept thinking, this really isn't about 21st century this, because a lot of the examples you give uh, occur all through history. So what is the connect, how much of this is a new story and how is it changed by 21st century kind of technology? That's a great question. And I think that is at the heart of this debate and this whole conversation about 21st century skills is we put this, you know, in you know, uh, you know, all these wikis and blogs and all that stuff when at the foundation these habits and actions are are timeless. I think the new part is that they are the habits and attitudes of performance based disciplines. So if you look at um disciplined studies like music, art, um uh sculpture, dance, teamwork, um from Olympic athletic ability to, you know, great scientific discoveries, that's the difference between, I guess, world 1.0 and world 2.0, is that we're asking our learners, our citizens, our workers to participate in society, to engage and contribute, not just to consume, which means it puts a whole other emphasis on those behaviors which are driven by the attitude. So it's not a, a skill set, a structural skill set. It is a, mind, a mindset-based behavior required, where before you could sit back and be passive because it was about um, someone else doing the work. Now you are a participant in this world. There's so much to that. That's so richly brilliant. I can't wait to listen to that again and drill down on it. Those of you in the chat, please please comment and, and we'll keep <laughs> Don't going. ask me to repeat it. Yeah, that's right. Well, it, it's recorded, so you don't have to. Um, I was also sort of intrigued by the fact that uh, the two books that I've read recently, The Talent Code and Talent is Overrated, and then probably you know a little bit of yeah. the, um, the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 Hours seem to kind of all play together yep. here into this same story of the importance of certain kinds of behavior for learning. Absolutely. And all of this research that I did for the book, even though it doesn't seem heavily research-based, it is supported in every discipline. And again, it keeps coming back to disciplined study, which is the absolute foundation of science, of mathematics, of art, of of business of innovation, and these are fundamental. These are the basics. So why don't you tell us what the habitudes are? Um, if you look at, and, and this is my interpretation of the work, so my goal wasn't to recreate another body of research. My goal was to shape um, around the conversations in all these spheres something that a classroom teacher could bring into daily life. So I did a lot of synthesizing. And so the list ranging from which source you get it from, for example, Art Costa has 16, um, Tony Weiger, Wagner has 7, 
Um, Stephen Covey had seven, then he added one eight. So I basically pulled all those together and brought it down to six, which are big umbrella links. So my six or our six in the conversation are imagination, curiosity, self-awareness, perseverance, courage, and adaptability. And then since this is on Lulu and I can edit it like in a second, I have, um, I'm working right now on adding, adding what I call a heart habitude, and that's passion. And passion um, sort of filters through all of it, but I keep coming back to the foundation of all of that. None of it matters if you're not passionate about what you are studying. You cannot be disciplined if you're not passionate about, you know, achieving a level in it. You can't do the work. None of it matters without passion. So that's sort of the, I don't know, the flower on the top of it. So if you haven't read the talent code yet, I think you're going to love it just for that reason, the, the sort of the identification of that passion. That is on piece. my list. It's incredible. Okay. So, um, and you also are very specific in how you format each chapter. Do you want to talk about the structure of each chapter? Yeah. I, I wasn't as um, uh, clear about this on a systematic basis, but um, the, the backdrop of this is, you know, so much of my work is in the realm of 21st century skills at the State Department level or at the um, standards level when I'm working with teachers or districts. So what happens is as you put these, so Iowa has what's called the Iowa Core Curriculum, which is we're one of the 13 states in the P21. So whatever your state has set up that there's this giant list of, wow, for the 21st century, you've got to get kids to think critically and analyze and evaluate and, you know, teach health literacy and global literacy. And I watch teachers' faces as these lists go up. And they're so dedicated. And they're so, um, so passionate about doing what's best for kids. They're not going to say out loud, are you kidding me? But I know on their faces they're saying, are you seriously thinking that I am supposed to teach all this stuff? And I want to say to them out loud, yes, I am saying that you need to teach all this stuff, but I also want them to know that they really don't have to teach it. They have to keep it. Because if you look at that list, which is the foundation of the framework, the bottom line is it exists in almost all our classrooms. You just have to go down to the preschool or the kindergarten. And so these really high-level competencies that we're talking about of scientists and mathematicians and, and really intellectual, um, you know, innovative achievers exist in really almost every three-year-old I've ever met. And so the foundation of the book and the format of the book is giving that a very specific language and label, being as specific about these attributes as we are about 2 plus 2 and the letter B. So I want you to say, today's lesson is curiosity. Here's what it is, you guys, and here's, what, here's why it matters, and guess what? You already have it. If you put a label on it, the chance of kids being able to control it and, and develop it and nurture it you know, goes up like 57%, 57,000%. So. so in the book, you do a comparison of characteristics of kindergartners, five-year-olds and middle and high schoolers. Okay, now we get to come back to Peggy. So if we were to do that same comparison with teachers, with most educators, do you have a sense of where they would fall? Yes. Absolutely. I'm not sure you're going to like this answer. So I'm going to let the chat room, I'm pushing this to them. Uh, on a, um, an, uh, I guess, a research note, um, another book I want you guys to write down is a book called The Genius Dip. And it's based on um, some research that Howard Gardner did out of um, Project Zero um, and his work at Harvard. And what he looked at is those genius tendencies, the ones that we just talked about, the ability to be creative and critical and stay disciplined and persevere and all of that. Ninety-eight percent of five-year-olds have those qualities. By the time they hit fourth grade, it drops in half. And by the time they graduate, it's less than two percent. This mirrors a lot of the research on, on um, concurring bodies of, from Richard Florida's creative class work but it 
it exists. We let it disappear. So when you have Ken Robinson on and you have Dan Pink on, they're going to mirror the same thing. So it's really important that at the beginning we label it. So now if we go, if 2% of our high school kids have it, so if I ask the chat room, what percent of adults who've been through the schooling system that basically says, answer my questions, don't think outside the box, color in the lines, and we've been rewarded and propelled in that system, how many adults, colleagues, do you know that are adaptable, embracing of change, ready to risk, um, courageous about sharing their imperfect work, um, self-aware, passionately curious. I would be very interested, like, on, we'll give them a little chance to practice with Illuminate. Put um, a percentage up there. What do you think? Be really honest. I see a 3%. Seven, one, less than ten, five. What would you say, Steve? Well, it's not fair for me to answer this because I'm not actually in the school, so I don't know. And, and I don't. And I didn't ask the question expecting the negative answer, but I figured that that was probably maybe a little bit what Peggy yeah. meant. And, and also, there was. And actually, actually, I saw a blog post on the book. Um, I don't know who this was. Maybe someone will know, but it was. Um, Is it education innovation? It was, and it talked about um, yep. moving this to teachers and then professional learning communities. Yes, it's an excellent post, and gosh, I know his Twitter name, educational innovation. It's so bad that I don't know his real name. It's so bad we know people's Twitter names. Maybe someone but will look I, that up for I us. I don't want that to be a negative. Yeah, I don't want that to be a negative against teachers. We are products of the system. What Web 2.0 does for teachers, and what has been sort of a side note of what's happened in the book, is that in the act of being involved in a global community, you have to find these habitudes or you won't be successful. You learn very quickly that sharing matters. You learn very quickly to persevere. You learn very, I was um, kind of going back to my first memories, actually, of going on Illuminate, terrified. The first time I came to one of your sessions, not even as a speaker, but just listening, and I'm like, oh gosh, I, my clapper thing was going off, and I hit the microphone, and you could probably hear stuff happen in my house, and I, got, I was terrified. And I think about how much I've grown as a learner being in this global learning community. I am living my habitudes every day. There's no way you can't. So that's the good news, is that if teachers have gotten rusty, in what it means to be a learner, they get that really, really quick if they can become a part of a personal learning community in a global sense. And Classroom 2.0, a plug for that, is the first place I send them as a model, as a mentor. So people are trying to make sure that they know the title of that book you mentioned, The Genius Something. I just actually, um, and it may not be a book, it may be, if you go to Harvard or um, Howard Gardner's Project Zero, and, and I think the body of research is around the genius dip, called the genius dip, um, and I know Ken Robinson talked about it in um, uh, what he called the creativity index, so if you look at the creativity index, um, there's, and what I'll try to do is, as I reflect on this post, I'll try to pull together some of the resources I'm, I'm throwing out there and some of the book lists that I used um, to fuel this body of research or this conversation. Because the conversations in the book are meant to sound really simple, but they're based on very sophisticated, as you said, um, timeless theories. So we had, we, just to touch briefly on the idea that the chapters are actually organized in a certain way, that you've got that first conversation that takes place, um, kind of model a, an actual classroom conversation that, yep. that could take place there. Then you've got something called the porch pitch. Do you want to describe that? Yes. I um, started out with what I called the um, million dollar conversation because um, I do a lot of work in the business world, and there's all these like uh, seminars with these, you know, world leaders that have these like motivation seminars. And based, you know, like I just was at one of Rudy Giuliani and um, 
Colin Powell and, you know, all these world leaders are coming and they're all talking about the habitudes. And I think, gosh, adults pay a lot of money, thousands of dollars to go have somebody teach them what they knew when they were three. And and I think about when some they all speak about this one conversation, this one person that in their life sat them down and said, you know what, if you persevere through something, you'll make it through. So I talk about, you know, if you have somebody who can have that million-dollar conversation, one conversation can change everything. And my personal example of that was I was working in a an at-risk school for teenage mothers um, in an inner city near Chicago. And this young mom, like 14 years old with a baby, um, you know, came in the middle of a snowstorm. And she was late for school, and she was in the hallway, and she was crying. And and then when I saw her in the hallway, she's like, I'm going to be in trouble because I'm late for school and I'm going to get a tardy. And I, my babysitter didn't come. She went through this whole story of her life. And I looked at her and I said, that is the most amazing story of perseverance. And she said, what? Did you call me? <laughs> and I said, well, I didn't call you that. Do you know what perseverance means? And we had this million-dollar conversation. She just sobbed in my arms because nobody had ever labeled for her ever that she had any quality worthy of, you know, Edison or anybody that, you know, worked at something, then she's going to make it. If you're going to make it, if you can do all this just to get to school, holy Moses, whatever you do, you're going to make it. And that's what I want in the million dollar conversation. And then the porch pitch is just a really short version that in one or two sentences can say quickly what it is so that we can get really clear with kids a an easy definition of when they see curiosity, here's what it means, here's what imagination is, here's what adaptability is, here's what, you know, whatever is. And then the the conversations that follow that are just extensions of aspects of that habitude. And so that, that's the format of the book. Right, it's and then you simple, obviously have resources really at the end of each chapter. Yes. So how long did it take to write yeah, the book? Yeah, Pitch comes from... Sorry? Um, actually, no, actually it, uh, it was written because I was going in, I, you know, I'm, I go in every week and I do, I have conversations with kids um, just to keep me grounded. And I write out what I'm going to say to kids on a little white note card. So I have like hundreds of these little white um, index cards where I just keep track of things that I want to be really clear about with kids. And I go into classrooms and teachers would say, they're writing down like everything I'm saying. And I said, well, it's just so simple, you guys. You know, just talk. And then because it's not in the format of some binder or um, curriculum materials, they were taking these little really, you know, scratched up note cards or photocopying them. I'm like, oh, for Pete's sake. So that's where the book came from. I just put a bunch of my note cards together and put them in a format and then just typed out my lessons. So it's basically conversations I've been having with kids for a long time. So it kind of wrote itself. And you and you chose to publish it on Hulu. Has that been a good thing? It actually was a really good thing. And um, and this is again a story of um, perseverance and imagination because I was um, I started out with a book at um, ASCD, and when it went to the editors. Um, the Habitudes was um, one section of it. It wasn't the big part of it. And um, they they had lots of edits to it. And and I didn't want those. I felt really like a strong pull to say, you know what, I'm having these conversations and they're starting and they cut across so many disciplines. And I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to not go with an official publisher. And I think this conversation, because of my network and because of um, I believe it matters and it's easy that I think it'll it'll work and it's been incredible and it's so it I mean literally David Warlick talks about this too you load it up and your book is done in five minutes it's you there's some you know tricky parts of editing and some stuff like that and um, a few copies came out and they didn't um, edit the correct version and stuff like that but what's beautiful about it now is teachers have been emailing me. Um, new lessons and things that they've done different and totally adapted what I've done in ways I couldn't even imagine. And so now I'm collecting all those and we're going to put it back and then we'll have a second version that will come out with all new lessons completely written by teachers doing this in classrooms. So how great is that? You couldn't do that with ASCD.
no offense to ASCD, but you couldn't do that with them. Do you get response from readers that they're particularly passionate about one part of the book or another? Yes, it's interesting. Um, I Skyped into a, a book talk of readers, uh, teacher readers, and um, what was so interesting is they had not taken the lessons to the kids yet. They were doing it um, and looking at it in their own personal learning community. So one of the readers um, was doing a chapter on courage because their school district's going through lots and lots of budget cuts and stress, and they were just going up against the school board, and they were going to use um, what makes a good conversation and what makes a bad conversation in the courage chapter, and they were going to use it with their school board. And I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's amazing. So different pieces stand out for different learners, and um, it's amazing. And um, the business world has actually done several, um, I, there's a, a sales blogger that has done a whole seminar and series on sales habitudes and um, PR habitudes and marketing habitudes. And um, there's somebody right now working on financial um, planning habitudes. And just to see how, you know, how many people adapt, it's incredible. So I'm just chuckling at the chat because people have been ordering copies while we've been <laughs> online. I, that's just so fun. Oh my gosh. It's got, it's got to make you feel good. That is hilarious. It does. It does. It does. It's so. What is more exciting for me is the. Uh, this little Ask Angela button on my blog, and I made the mistake of telling kids that it was there. And so every week, I get these little um, little notes from. I can tell when it's a note from a teacher or a note from like a fourth grader that said, "I've been persevering this week, and I just wanted to let you know that if you wanted to share that, here's my project." And so, it's so funny. Um, once you label something for a learner. They're so aware of it, and it, it's like you, your brain. Once you know, you control. You can control it, and you, you, it, it gives you a sense of, you know, security in a really unsecure world. So Deb uh, sent a private message here. She says, "Good time to ask about the chapter chat." So it was rumored that you'd blog that yeah. you were going to start a chapter study uh, webinar series. Is that accurate? Yes, that is accurate. And I don't know if I'm talking. I get so excited, and I hope I'm not going over time. Um, so what we what we want to do is, um, because so many teachers have incredible ideas, and we are smarter together, is that um, I've developed a set of, you know, from my learning in, a, in Web 2.0, some technology tools and some visuals and web um, things that can go along with the habitudes. And so I'd like to show some of those things by pulling like a chapter or two a week and on Classroom 2.0 and then we could set up a, a room and, and just set a date and then I will maybe present, I swear I won't talk more than 10 minutes, kind of overview that habitude or two for you, give you some examples of what teachers are doing in the classroom and then give you a chance to go back to your own classroom, try it out, have these conversations and then we'll find a place, um, I'll, I'll create a wiki or some kind of Google Doc where we can link our lessons and our conversations and things that we use with kids or teachers, and then we'll have this whole repertoire of really practical 21st century skill um, lessons that we can use to meet the standards um, in all realms. So I'm very excited about it. And we uh, haven't set those dates for sure, so I'll, I'll talk with you, Steve, and then I'll um, get a post about that, so I can you can know which habitudes which week and all that. So it sure sounds like you're well, uh, you're, you're getting a good response in the chat. So it sure sounds like a really fun project. Great. Okay, so now you haven't talked too much. Great. In fact, we still have 20 minutes to go, but uh, this is the time when I'm going to start encouraging people to think about asking questions. Uh, you're welcome to take the mic and ask Perfect. Angela a question. Uh, we wanted this session to be basic enough that if someone hadn't seen the book before, that it provided a little bit of a foundation for activities that would take place later. But we also recognize that some of you have read the book and you may have specific questions. And this would be a good time to ask those as well. So to indicate that you'd like the microphone, you click on the hand with the green up arrow at the bottom of the participant box. Or you can put your question in the chat. And Angela and I will both see it and we'll try and capture those. Um, so um, 
which habitudes are natural to you and which do you have to work on? I think um, what is the most natural for me is curiosity. That 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 has been something that I have um, been as a learner. I'm a passionate learner. The hardest habitude for me is courage, and not courage that you know I'm I'm scared to try new things. I'm very adaptable, but courage because so much of my identity as I was the perfect student in, in grade school and even a more perfect one in high school and then very studious in college and, and it was all about, you know, I was that little girl in the front row that raised her hand, you know, and had to do everything right, you know, the kid that you really irritates you. And um, courage to be messy and to put ideas out there that are raw and to say, I so don't get this or, you know, I have no idea what I'm doing but I'm going to wing it and I'll let you know how it works and to not be perfect. And that's really hard when um, your identity as an educator has been because you've achieved a level of um, expertise to stand up every day and be courageous in front of kids and say, in front of teachers and say, I'm learning with you. I have really no idea how it's going to turn out, but this I do know. If we try it, we'll learn from it. We'll figure something out and we'll have different questions. So let's, let's take the jump together. And kids have actually given me that courage because they do that for me every single day. So courage has been hard. Curiosity, not hard. <laughs> so I wonder if there's any possibility that that's part of what I saw when I met you. Curiosity? No, the other part, the, the, that, you, that you're making an effort that, uh, to be courageous. There you were sort of stunned <laughs> hmm. by all of those people. And then you kind of figured out, okay, well, now I've met all these people, I can pick my jaw up and I can move forward. What really, um, really got me through NECC was the habitudes. And I, I'm not saying this jokingly because I actually talked about this with, I think, Vicki and Cheryl is I did the unplugged session and it was the first time and when I looked up um, and standing in my back rows, I'm talking about digital literacy. David Warlick and Carl Fish and David Jakes and Dean Shoresky and these uh, amazing people. And I was almost paralyzed. And for me to not talk is unusual. And then I thought about uh, what am I doing talking about this if I'm not living this? And I cannot stand up in front of teachers or kids and say, this is a part of what it means to be a good learner. And then I, I looked around and instead of seeing them as people judging me or me as lesser than them, I stood up and I said, you know what, this is what I know, this is what I've been working out, these are the amazing folks I've learned from and I'm not sure I have it figured out right now and, and that was, that was a, a really a turning point for me was that moment at, at Unplugged. Hey, that's really fun. So we get to do a plug for Unplugged which we're going to do again. So if yep. you are going to Q for ISTE, the two shows Q is in Palm Springs in March and ISTE is in Denver in late June, uh, we're not only going to have uh, EduBlogger cons again, the all-day unconference uh, for social media and education, but we are going to have uh, Unplugged. And ISTE Unplugged means that if you didn't get accepted to speak at ISTE or if there's a topic you want to talk on that you didn't get to, didn't get accepted or you didn't get a chance to apply for, you can actually sign up and you will be able to present. And it will be a small venue, but it will be, it will be a fun one. And so uh, it's the Unplugged. It, the website will be up in a couple of weeks and hopefully nobody who got turned down from ISTE last night or today is feeling so badly that they won't consider coming to ISTE. Okay, so Lee has a question and I'm giving you the mic. Excellent. Uh, yeah, hello. Um, Angela, I'd be interested in hearing what you might have to say about um, the perseverance. I just finished a semester <coughs> in Central Australia with some Indigenous students where motivation was almost zero for learning with lack of uh, support from family. Um, so their perseverance was very, very low. Um, yeah, so if you could talk to some of that, that would be great. That's a great question. Um, one of the, the things about perseverance is that if you really study 
um, elite um, individuals in any field, their defining characteristic is perseverance. When people see um, Michael Jordan on the basketball court, or they see Tiger Woods, not for what they see him now, but when they see Tiger Woods, what they don't see is how much he practiced. And, you know, they see Lance Armstrong win this, but they don't know he rode his bike for eight hours a day, every day, for years. So the key to perseverance is you cannot force somebody to persevere because it's not an issue of time. It's an issue of energy. And energy is something that the individual, it's an inside job. The individual chooses how much energy. So you can say kids are going to read for 30 minutes every day or they're going to practice basketball for 60 minutes a day. Perseverance is personal. And the fuel for perseverance is passion. They are hand in hand. So when you look at drive, or Dan Pink talks a lot about um, a study with the military and with businesses, and I, I think it was the defining factor in boot camp was something that he called grit, um, G-R-I-T. And that was the single most um, contributing factor to success in, um, in, in key fields. And it makes a lot of sense. But one of the things that we forget to talk about with perseverance is that kids are willing, learners are willing to persevere at unbelievable ways if what they're doing is worthy of their time. And I don't mean it has to be interesting or exciting. I mean that it has to be real and valuable and have a purpose. So um, one of the um, examples that I just wrote about was my own son, who would not be the um, picture of a motivated learner, a middle school boy whose school um, is, is not a good place for him. And he got a team of middle school boys in the summer to form a study group on they can have their driver's ed license at 14 in Iowa. That's a whole other conversation. But the kind of perseverance that, that those boys put in and the kind of time that they put into studying, that's motivation. You can't buy that. It has to come from the inside. So the key to perseverance is making sure that what we're asking kids to persevere at is worthy of both their time and their energy by making it authentic and relevant and real. So there's a part in the book where you talk about failure. And isn't there a really a, a significant connection here between and understanding failure as a part of learning? That sometimes when we when send that message, then then even the time spent isn't as productive as it would be. Absolutely, and that's the tricky part of perseverance. And and these all weave together, but that's also where courage comes from, because safe is risky. So if you practice to only things you're good at or you um, engage in activities that are easy, um, that's the riskiest thing that you can do as a learner because failure isn't just a part of learning. It is the foundation of learning. Failure is something that should be celebrated in a way that, I mean, it's not about losing. I think when you see failure, you think, oh, you're losing. Failure is winning because then the next time, the goal is you'll fail faster next time. You, you have to teach kids how to fail forward, how to embrace failure. If you're not failing, you're not learning, really. If you haven't failed at something in the last 24 hours, you haven't really learned something in the last 24 hours. <laughs> okay, so we have a couple of questions. Were you done there? Did you, were you pausing to cough or were you done? No, 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 good. So Peggy says, many, no, people, many people ask question. about what is the difference between attitudes and habits. Can you talk about that? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, um, a habit is that repeated behavior that becomes so invisible and innate that it becomes unconscious to your brain. So you, you're literally going through the motions. And habits aren't bad because you want something to be effortless. The attitude part is the mindset, the consciousness that you bring that drives those behaviors. Because a habit, as you know, can be bad. <laughs> I bite my fingernails. So a habit can be bad. I don't even know I'm doing it. I'm watching myself on videotape. I'm biting my fingernails. I don't even know I'm doing it. So what drives your ability to change or develop a new habit is your attitude in the way you, you um, adapt your behavior. 
So, for example, if your if your attitude is I'm not going to share anything because then somebody will steal my stuff, then you're not going to get in the daily behavior of sharing, and you'll never feel what it feels like to see your things being changed and growing and all of that. So. The mindset is the foundation of the behaviors that you choose. And in the 21st century, the learner's mindset or the growth mindset or what I call, what Einstein called the childlike mindset, that is is the necessity to be able to grow and um, get, get in the right set of habits. Deb asks, have you found... Mindset, by the way, Go ahead. is another great book. <laughs> Deb asked, have you found a culture oh, no, sorry, that has better habitudes? Um, yes. And it is not a culture in the way you're thinking about it. The web culture has the best habitudes. And um, it, is, it is ageless. It is gradeless. It is um, colorless. It is shapeless. But it exists in every online community that I'm in. So if you look at, and somebody, if somebody can, like Peggy, can you go to my blog and um, there's a post that I did on a Twitter Wordle and I asked my network of, you know, about 10,000 people and 50% of them are non-educators. They're in the business world. They're writers. They're marketers. They're like so not um, in, in my culture in terms of education culture. And I simply asked them what is the most critical skill that allows you to be successful in um, a networked culture. And the habitudes came up. Sharing was the number one thing. So it didn't matter if you're in the community on Classroom 2.0 or you have a Twitter community or you are on a Ning or whatever it is. This culture embodies the habitudes. So I'm intrigued and by I, that. I would Go say ahead. then, I would say the only other consistent culture that embodies the habitude is early childhood. Early childhood in respect to both students and teachers. If you look at the curriculum in, I mean, look at Maria Montessori's work, look at um, Reggio Emilia, look at um, Seymour Papworth, look at all of those, um, I mean, look at all those who molded what early childhood education is today. It is the culture of nurturing the habitude. So when you look at preschool curriculum, oh, creative curriculum, absolutely. When you look at, it is creative curriculum. It is workforce curriculum, you know, entrepreneurial curriculum. But as I'm working with preschool teachers as a whole culture, there's, because I think they're around three-year-olds and four-year-olds all the time, you, it makes you different. It makes you different when you're around others who have these habitudes. Very different than the culture of, you know, AP, track, you know, um, college prep class, you know, classroom cultures. So I know those are pretty broad generalizations, but that's what I see trend-wise, culture-wise. So Miguel asks, Great question. what recognition do habitudes have among legislators and district administrators who influence curriculum writing in schools? That's a great question. Um, I think they don't call them habitudes, but in terms of legislation and in terms of um, mandates, they would fall under what most states define as the 21st century skills. Depending on what your state document looks like, it is really hard to find them as a foundation of the work. And it's causing a lot of confusion because um, also under the 21st century skills are all those things that we talk about, global literacy, health literacy, financial literacy, all that stuff. But to be literate or to be engaged and participate in the 21st century, you can't do it without adaptability and perseverance and courage and tenacious curiosity. So the languaging is in there and probably the closest to what state departments are ad adopting are those as described in Tony Wagner's book, The Global Achievement Gap. And I know, Steve, you've had Tony on. Sorry, I have not. <laughs> have you not? Not. Well, you need to. Um, you need to. So got to get on that and um, get Steve Farber on too. But 
if you look in those documents, I know in the Iowa Corps, if you go to the Iowa Corps' website, they actually cite Tony Wagner's research, and they they name him. I mean, he uses seven. I think he uses Curiosity Adaptability. I mean, he kind of has different names for them, but they are in the new documents under the categories of 21st century skills. So it sounds like I need to get Tony. Hey, Leonard is encouraging me to get Tony and also asking a long question. One of the biggest barriers to developing these yeah. habitudes is the normative curriculum, which says you have to learn this and this and this and devalues the things kids find themselves loving. So a question for Angela is how to make room for those activities and challenges that individual children want to sink their teeth into. The spelling bee is a good example of this. A huge number of those students were homeschooled. That's an awesome question. So rather than seeing them as conflicting agendas, the habitudes are the fuel to which the standards are met. So if we position the standards at the level they're at, they cannot be accomplished. I believe this with every fiber of my being without a learner who embodies these habitudes. Because to learning at the participation and contribution level, requires the learners to take action, to do something, not just to sit and listen and regurgitate. In order to do something, you you have to embody these habits and, and, and dispositions. So it's not a conflicting agenda. It is it is the way that that work gets accomplished. Okay, so we've got about three minutes left. If you have a final question you'd like to ask, okay. please grab the uh, grab the mic. Uh, click on the hand with the green up arrow, and we'll give you the microphone. Or put your question in the chat. Angela, <laughs> let's take a moment now and recognize Angela for coming tonight, since this is probably going to be close to the end. So I'm clapping. This is my clapping okay. hand down at the bottom of the participant window. Yay. What a lot of fun, and what a fast hour. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to read the chat. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to read the chat. <laughs> well, okay, so that's that's a. I'm gonna I'm gonna let people know the recording will be up tonight or tomorrow morning, wherever you saw the listing of the event, whether it was at futurevision.com or at uh, Learn Central or somewhere else. There should be a link to the recording. There will also be a separate link to audio and chat log. No, so CC. Looks like maybe you're asking to take the mic, and let's let you have the final word. So turn your mic on. You click on the microphone button in the box. Maybe you were clapping and accidentally hit the raised hand. <laughs> barely hear you. Oh, I can barely hear. Oh, can you? Steve, can you hear the question? No, I can't. Cece, go ahead and put it in the chat if you'd like. Um, yeah, and I, um, you, I'm on Twitter, you know, so you can find me at, at Angela Myers on Twitter. And if you have any other questions, and then sometimes it helps to see what this might sound like in the classroom. So if you just go to my blog and type in Habitudes, anything you want on there, totally free to do whatever you want with. And you can join me in kind of seeing what it sounds like and what it feels like when um, the conversation is happening, happening with different grade levels and um, all the materials that surround that. So um, I just I can't wait to see where the conversation goes. And Steve, I just have to give a, you know, a big thank you to you because mentors are a part of what makes you courageous. And so giving me this opportunity and being such a mentor to me has given me courage to have conversations I wouldn't have had before. So thank you. And to all my friends and new friends in the chat room, thanks so much for giving up an hour of your time. I appreciate okay. it. Thanks, Angela. I'm clapping again. And we're going to look forward to it's January, February starting the chapter discussions of Classroom Habitudes. Thanks to Illuminate for sponsoring Future of Education. Thanks to our new sponsor, C. Bloom and Associates, um, who, who are doing me a huge favor. They're sponsoring the book budget for the show, which is really fun. So props to them for that. Don't forget tomorrow night, if you're interested, right. virtual schooling. And then coming up in January, lots of fun coming ahead. 
Thanks everybody for coming. Angela, you are released from your obligation at this point because it is uh, six o'clock nice. here, and some of us are going to stick around for a post-show chat. But you should feel free just to go. Uh, when any, if you leave the session, I'm going to go into the chat room. But go ahead. Well, thanks you guys. Um, excellent, excellent. Thanks so much. I learn from you every day. Thank you. Thanks, Angela. Great job tonight. Okay, so for those who'd like to, we're gonna. Well, this is new for us, but we've been hanging around for a few minutes. The question, the conversations are archived. You're not, you're, there's no reason for you to stay. If you need to go, just go ahead and close the program out, which you do by clicking on that X at the top right of the program, or I'll exit. But if you want to hang out for a few minutes, casual chat, you can ask to take the mic in the chat log. So book budget. So I actually called Charlene Bloom and said. Hey, uh, why don't you sponsor my book budget? <laughs> it's costing me a fortune to buy all these books, and she graciously agreed, which is really fun. And we had a great she and I had a great conversation. We're actually probably going to do a session on how uh, Web 2.0 technologies are changing um, relationship with educators. Really fun to think about um, this requiring that become more authentic in how they having an impact uh, with educational vendors. So lots of fun things to talk about there. We, we, uh, um, so that was really fun. And I don't know if anybody else has read Classroom Habitudes, but because I'm not in the classroom, um, I kept thinking about how I would use it with my own children connection with uh, other did anybody else want to comment on that so she does have uh, a list after each chapter of children's of books for children match the habitude some of the chapters don't have the teacher or adult and I made a, a notes on a couple where I thought there were books that Lulu <laughs> <laughs> I think Lulu is the only place to get the book. So for those who haven't heard me say this already, if you have a PC, you can download the Kindle software. Actually, get a chapter or two of books you have with Kindle. So on, uh, if you've got a Kindle and you have a 10 or 20 books, chapter, and I can read that and decide if I'm interested. Kind of like being in a book. I don't think there's a Kindle. Oh, I see, Peggy. I think um, does a really good job of turning this into a serious discussion. Yeah, Deb, I love that comment too. And I think what's interesting to me is, I dive too deep into this, is that I actually think that that web culture changed. Because I don't know that I would necessarily say that the original culture, habitude, felt like originally there was screaming going on. It was something I've said before. Much better web. Sounds like you weren't able to hear everything I said. Anyway, yeah, I think that that web culture comment was fascinating. Well, I think I'm going to help uh, Angela do the chapter chat, but I'll probably do a couple with her just to make sure she's comfortable. Yes, it will be shouted out. In fact, um, if you're on either the Learn Central Network or Classroom 2.0, you will definitely get a notice of it. Yeah, it will be an eliminate. So, Leonard, is it just my audio that seems to be breaking up? NECC is the last couple of days of June and maybe the first day of July. It's in Denver, but it's being called ISTE now, I S T E. Anyone can go to ISTE, but there is a cost. 
Right, so uh, hopefully it won't break up again. You can download the Kindle software for PC, and that's free. And then um, uh, I think you're allowed to have up to three devices, and your PC is one of those devices. So you can go to the Amazon site, make a connection with your Kindle account, and then you can download preview versions of books. So you don't actually have to own a Kindle to get some of the benefit. And I'm actually doing it on a small tablet netbook that's turning out to be a great e-reader because I can actually use that as my Kindle device. Okay, so it sounds like we're done. Looks like we're losing people. Anyway, thanks for coming tonight. Uh, you do need to exit the program for the recording to um, to, to uh, take place. So. Uh, if you don't um, close out of the program in a minute or two, I'll actually close it out for you so the recording can process. Thanks, everybody. Great night tonight. Sure appreciate your coming.